to the J. Kim Show, Hong Kong's first dedicated podcast on investing in Asia. Join us as we survey the land and discover the greatest companies and most profitable investment opportunities in Asia. If this is your first time listening, thank you for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week with the goal of providing actionable insights to you, the listener, with every single episode. And now, on to the show. This week's show guest is Federico Est, blockchain entrepreneur, graduate of Singularity University, and founder of an exciting new company called Cleros. Cleros is an arbitration platform for the decentralized age. It's a unique solution for resolving disputes via blockchain and crowdsourced specialists while ensuring integrity and transparency of rulings. Cleros aims to democratize access to justice in emerging economies and other topics on blockchain and governance. Federico walks us through this interesting and unique application in the blockchain space and how his team at Cleros aims to disrupt arbitration. Hi, Federico. How are you doing? Thank you so much for coming to the show. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm pretty excited to have you on. You have a very uh, unique and exciting background and a very interesting project that you're working on in a space that is extremely, extremely uh, popular and uh, well sought after right now. So I personally, I, I'm not a, uh, a blockchain or crypto expert by any means. So I'm uh, I'm 100% on board with, uh, with learning as well. Um, and I think my audience is, shares the same sentiment. So for the audience listening in, perhaps you could give us a general introduction of yourself and uh, your background. Sure, Jay. So uh, my name is Federico Ast. I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, I studied uh, economics at the university. Then I studied philosophy. Um, when I was a teenager, I always wanted to be a writer. So uh, when I finished um, university, I, I went to work in a newspaper, in the most important newspaper in Argentina and also one of the most important uh, in Latin America. So and I started working there in the online media, uh, online media sections. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very young and started to, there was a project there um, like uh, I would call it like a fast company uh, in Spanish, like uh, online website for business and entrepreneurs and work there. And then I was there for a couple of years and very connected to innovation. And that's what took me to blockchain, right? Uh, it was, I think, 20, yeah, the early 2010s. And some people were starting to think about blockchain and Bitcoin and what's this... Um, uh, we are internet currency, and that's how mm-hmm. I got connected uh, to that. And I also was um, very interested in uh, governance because um, being from a country like Argentina, which has had lots of problems in governance, you know, bad governments, uh, yeah, like a failed, yeah, failed governance, and very um, serious currency crisis. You know, Argentina is one of the few countries in the world that managed to have a million-dollar inflation rates back in the 1980s. So that um, made people here very uh, aware of, um, like, the problems that bad currency can happen, right, can can create in a society. So this connection between governance, currency crisis, um, made me become very interested in blockchain, right? And then I... I got tired of working at in the media and went back to school to do a PhD. And I studied collective intelligence and I studied how people make decisions together. And um, from all those um, experiences I had in life, uh, I guess that's what took me to what I am doing now, that is applying blockchain technology to improve governance, uh, in my case in particular in uh, justice systems. That's fascinating. And I know that you are also a graduate of Singularity University. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So I started working um, on my project on um, yeah, the use of blockchain for, for governance. And so I published a, a paper back in 2015, I think, uh, a paper that basically what it said, it's like, so... Um, we have uh, justice systems that are built with very old technology, like technology from the 18th century, like when people went to, you know, they used horses and they wrote letters for to each other. 
And now we have mm -hmm. the internet. And so what we have known as course are not really working anymore, right? I wrote a paper like just um, to propose how should justice work in um, if we have to build it with the tools we have today and with the things we know today. Um, I published that online. And so people started to um, call me. So people from MIT, from Princeton, so scholars telling, hey, this is very interesting. And I was invited to a conference in Amsterdam to talk about this, right? In a panel of blockchain and governance. And there I met a professor of singularity. I see. And he told me, hey, man, this is very interesting what we're working on. And the world needs um, people working on exponential governance. Mm -hmm. Why don't you apply to singularity, right? <laughs> so I knew singularity, but I thought it was very like far like from me what is singularity going to do with this little man from Buenos Aires, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he said, you should apply. And then I applied. And I guess they were, like, I don't know, they were drunk in the admissions committee because I got in. <laughs> uh, so I, <laughs> I went there for, uh, in 2016, I spent there six months, um, like uh, living and studying and, yeah, collaborating with other 79 people from 40 countries, some of them, like the most amazing people I've met in my life, some of them doing uh, biotechnology, robotics, VR, AI, whatever. Uh, so, and I got the chance to talk about my project and about what I wanted to change in the world to the world's brightest minds, I guess. That's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, Singularity University is is literally some of the smartest people in the world, you know, and there's a, there's a metric they use, uh, you have to solve a problem that's... Uh, 10th to the something degree that you have to be able to uh, solve a problem to that magnitude. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it, it's just fascinating because I've met a, a handful of people that have uh, come out of that program and they're just, you know, they're just, uh, the, the thinking is on a different level. So I think it's, it's fascinating. And, uh, and I'm, I, I'm sure you've enjoyed the experience. It's interesting to me, Federico, because from some, as someone who doesn't have really a legal background, uh, more of a, uh, media publishing background for you to uh, tackle or go into this sort of uh, field specifically around blockchain. So I think, you know, a lot of uh, people, if you were, I'll take my, myself, for example, you know, I'm an investor, but I'm not necessarily um, in the blockchain space. But because I was an early stage investor, uh, you know, I also heard about Bitcoin and this sort of thing back in 2010-ish. Uh, but it was it was more of like a very tech geeky type thing. You know, I would go to conferences and people would be talking about it. Tech geeks would be talking about Bitcoin and I was going to change the world, but it never really moved the needle outside of that small contained ecosystem. So for you to actually pursue something in this, was there a moment, a sort of light bulb moment when you were like put, you know, blockchain and governance together and you were like, aha, this is what I have to pursue? Look, um I was interested in changing government, uh, governance. So um, I was not trying to do a Bitcoin or blockchain startup. So mm -hmm. something they always tell you at Singularity is so fall in love with the problem, not with the solution. So I started to think about these topics um, before uh, anyone was thinking about blockchain and governance. So the, the Ethereum was very, very early stage. And nobody really knew that, uh, yeah, how it would work, if it, if it would work. Um, so I just was uh, in, in love with the problem. And then it just happened that blockchain was the solution to, to this problem. If the solution to this problem would have been like AI or VR or whatever, maybe I would be doing a different technology. But so um, it turned out to be that blockchain gives us um, the... Yeah, the technology that we need to tackle this big problem we have now. And that's why um, I, I became interested in, in this technology. And uh, the fact that I don't have um, a legal background, I guess this could be more uh, an advantage than a disadvantage. Because right. if you see the people who in history have disrupted all industries or all institutions, they usually didn't come from the that same... Um, industry, right? If you see who disrupted, uh, I guess, uh, libraries, uh, it was not like a master librarian doing librarianship <laughs> better than existing librarians. So it was Google 
it was software engineering. Uh, if you see, like, the guy from Uber, he was not an expert in transportation. He was a software guy, right? And then the same with Airbnb. And, you know, as Mark Andreessen says, uh, software is it, in, is it in the world. And it's also about something that Elon Musk says. So I think about the first principles. Uh, in the end, what's a, a court system, right? It's a number of guys trying to find the truth about some uh, facts that happened or did not happen in the world uh, and if someone bro broke or didn't break an agreement. Uh, so it's more about like finding the truth uh, about a dispute. And you don't need to be a lawyer for that, I guess. That's very true. Uh, that's a great point, Federico, because uh, oftentimes it is uh, people that are outside of, um, of sort of the niche or the space that gives you that sort of variant perspective in and you can actually see, you know, a lot of times when you're too neck deep into uh, the industry or just, uh, you know, deep in, in the thick of it, then you don't see sometimes what can be very obvious to, to outsiders on things like disrupting an entire industry. So, uh, okay, so let's get right into it. This is quite, uh, this is quite interesting and uh, I'm, I'm excited to dive in. So let's, let's talk about Kleros and what exactly you're trying to do there. Uh, you know, what does the where did you come up with that name, and what exactly is the the broad strokes, uh, you know, sort of uh, elevator pitch type of idea? Uh, let's start there, and then we'll drill down from there. Good. Cool. So, um, yeah, to understand this, so let me take you back to ancient Athens uh, in the fifth century before Christ. No, you know, the Greek had a different concept of justice that we have now. They did not have lawyers or judges, but they had. Uh, the idea that ordinary citizens have a right to judge in a trial. So on trial days, uh, every citizen who wanted to be a jury, um, the jury, he went to the court with his ID. It was a bronze plaque called Pinakion. It was a yeah, like a five, a small bronze plaque with the name on mm -hmm. it, and then. Um, he put it, the plague into a big stone block with uh, many slots called Cleroterion. So that's where the names come from. So Cleros is chance. And Terion, it means something like altar. So Cleroterion is the altar of chance. So when you put, you put the, the ID there, and so then comes an official from the justice system and throws some white and black balls on a tube affixed on a side of the of the stone block of the Peloterion. And if you have on your white uh, on your row a white ball, then you are going to be a juror. If you have a black ball, so you're going to home and you're dismissed. So that's what the Greek invented in order to have juries selected in a fair way and in, and in transparent way. So no one could tamper with the jury selection process. So uh, let's take this to our days, right? Um, this this idea of using of the fact that people ordinary people could be uh, judge in a, in a dispute. Let's right. think about. I am in Argentina, so I want to hire some uh, developer in Guatemala, for example, to do a website for me. And this guy, so we do an agreement, uh, and I pay him, and he does the website, and I don't like it. Uh, and I'm not going to Guatemala like to sue him for like five. $100 or $1,000, right, website. So, <laughs> right. so um, imagine if I could, instead of paying him directly, I had put the money into a smart contract. If everything goes right, so the money is transferred, everybody's happy. But if there is a dispute, the money stays locked into the smart contract, and Kleros is going to select a juror of experts in website disputes, and these guys are going to analyze the evidence and vote uh, who is right, and they are going to collect um, a fee for the work they did, right? So Kleros is this autonomous organization, completely decentralized, that is going to uh, handle all this selection process uh, based, based on the ideas that the Greek had a long time ago, like selecting experts uh, in the issue at hand uh, for adjudicating the dispute and not having like experts, like lawyers and judges, professional lawyers and judges, but people from the community should have the right to decide. So that's the main idea. Right. Uh, and this is a very uh, simple case, but um, Kleros can be used in lots and lots of different use cases. Um, we can use this in insurance. You can use this in government, for example, in transit tickets. You can use this in all kinds of e-commerce disputes. 
different, many, many different small claims. Uh, Cleros can have the possibility of solving them much better than existing solutions. That's that's very interesting. Uh, thank you for the the basic uh, sort of introduction and uh, explanation because it helps me understand exactly uh, what you're after here. So just to recap, uh, so it's ancient Greece, is that right? And and how did you guys even find uh, you know the original this original scenario where the people could come and they would use their uh, Pinakian uh, bronze plates? Uh, and it gets selected for basically a, a jury duty type uh, scenario, right? How did you guys find this? Did you research it? Were you a historian or someone on your team uh, thought of it? Well, actually, um, remember that I, I, I am a philosophy major. So I have right. read about the Greek long ago. Of course, at that moment, uh, when I read uh, Aristotle and when he was writing about the Athenian constitution, I didn't pay too much uh, attention to how the juries were selected. But uh, some, somehow, you know, uh, when you start uh, walking your, your path and then you see in the past and then the dots start to connect. And I guess that's right. where the idea came from initially, of course. And then I did a lot of research. And, and of course, uh, this it's not that Kleros works exactly as the Greek system worked, but the, it is quite heavily inspired uh, in the main idea, yeah, in how the Greek system of justice worked, uh, but yeah, I guess it comes from my yeah from my university education a long time ago. Yeah, I think that's great. That's uh, it's fascinating how uh, how you can uh, draw inspiration from that. Um, very cool. And so, okay, so let's let's walk through that that simple example again, just so uh, we have a live. Uh, idea uh, the audience has a very good idea so like you said let's say let's say myself jay kim wants to have a website done i want to get my website redone and so i hire a web developer somewhere uh in another country let's say um call it indonesia right and because uh, i like this person's i don't know i go to his website i see his work and i i want to i like his style so i want him to revamp my website so he gets the does the thing i make the payment uh, and then all of a sudden I realized afterwards when the project's complete that he forgot to add a few things, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so this is where the problem usually begins. And this is a small job, maybe, you know, a thousand US dollars, nothing big. Uh, obviously, um, so immediately in my mind, what comes, what pops up, Federico, is right now there's sort of social social proof based uh, you know, ratings that, that a lot of companies are using, right? Like upvotes or user reviews for things like Uber and, and Airbnb. Uh, and that directly affects sort of, uh, you know, a sort of service provider uh, or, or uh, a consultant's um, ratings, which then uh, you would expect that to negatively affect their uh, revenue going forward or their business going forward, right? Um, and so now you're saying that with your platform, uh, with your solution, basically, you can then uh, go to a third party who will then uh, organize a group of jurors, so to speak, online uh, that or, or specialists to look into this case specifically. And then uh, I guess it, the collective votes and then when the decision comes down, then the jurors get compensated. So that's correct. Yes, the um, Cleros, what it does is selects the right juror with the right skills for the specific type of dispute you need to to solve. Right? Uh, I didn't um, dig very much into the how the jury selection process works, but this is where the magic happens. So, right. uh, how do you? So in Cleros design, jurors are anonymous, right? So you don't have to because if you need a juror who has experience being a juror before. Um, and you know his reputation, what happens? So you end up having a couple of jurors with very high reputation. And so maybe these guys um, are going to uh, ask for a lot of money to solve this because, because they are most trust, uh, trustful. Uh, and that's right. have the problem uh, of um, lots of people who want to start being jurors, but they don't have any experience yet, right? So they don't have reputation points. And how, how can they start? Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a very big bar- entry barrier for them. So the that's right. Is that, uh, if we can develop a system that can adjudicate the dispute and using jurors that don't have uh, maybe 
this experience, this proven experience, so if you lower the cost, the barrier to entry to being a juror, then you have a much larger pool of jurors, right? In this uh, website dispute about uh, the guy from Indonesia, so maybe if you wanted to go to the uh, proven jurors, then you have like, I don't know, 100. If you develop a system that allows everyone uh, having the, this expertise to be a juror into this kind of dispute, then you have 1 million potential jurors. And if you have hmm. 1 million potential jurors, you have um, lots of um, people to select. And so the supply of arbitration services is going to be so much higher that the cost of arbitrating a single dispute will go very, very low. And I right. think that this cost will go uh, below some threshold after which it becomes, for the first time, possible to arbitrate disputes that before they, you just had to write it off because you could not like um, arbitrate this dispute for the website with all technology. Because if you go to court in Indonesia for $1,000, it doesn't make too much business sense. But if the cost of adjudicating the dispute goes below, like goes to $10 or $15 or $20, or who knows, then it makes sense, right, to do it. And then, uh, and that that's when um, I guess when the uh, world changes because you think about the also about the, how different industries are being reconfigured now. Um, mm -hmm. If with what we think about blockchain uh, is going to be true, you know, uh, we're going to have in the next five years maybe some e-commerce um, websites, but completely decentralized, a platform. That's like an eBay without the eBay, uh, Uber without the Uber, an Airbnb without the Airbnb. So all cooperatives owned by the users. Um, these cooperatives um, are not going to have a customer support service because they just do the one thing, right? So Bitcoin does not have the uh, chargeback system that credit cards have, right? So right. Each part of the ecosystem have to build one piece of the puzzle. So what I imagine as the future is like the Uber decentralized, Airbnb decentralized, and et cetera decentralized are going to uh, outsource their digital solution to a player that is going to be very effective doing this. And I hope this is going to be Claros, right? Right. Very interesting. So now, um, going back to our example here, Federico, if you don't mind. So uh, let's say, uh, and and you and and I'm not sure if you guys are, are at this stage yet of development. Uh, but how do the uh, let's say in my dispute, now how would the uh, jurors, so to speak, be selected? Can you just volunteer, uh, kind of like bidding on a uh, freelance gig at, at a site like Fiverr or Upwork or something like that? Uh, or is it, are they, are you selected, um, so to speak? So um, it works like this. So um, actually you self-select into a court where you think you have expertise to solve the dispute. For example, imagine, so this guy from, uh, I guess, Peru, he uh, works uh, in a website uh, design company. Uh, and on during the night, so on his downtown, downtime, he may want to make some extra money by arbitrating disputes in Claros, right? So he needs to have this token uh, that is going to give him the possibility of being a juror in dispute. So I am this guy from Peru, and I have this token, and I activate mm -hmm. the token into a court handling website disputes, right? So imagine like uh, 3,000 other potential jurors uh, deposit the token into this court. So then there is this random uh, machine that's going to select maybe seven jurors, right? out of the 3,000. And so these seven guys are going to have the, the right of uh, arbitrating the dispute, and this means the right to analyze the evidence, vote on the outcome, and then um, have uh, collect an arbitration fee for their work, right? Uh, and so that's how uh, jurors are incentivized to participate in the platform, because they actually make money by providing their expertise in solving disputes uh, from other people. Um, and, and so... How do you incentivize the people? Um, because here the biggest risk is like having the juror like voting randomly, whatever, just to collect the fee right. and leaving fast in, uh, of, of the platform. So here yes. is what, where the magic happens because this is where we use game theory incentives in order to have jurors uh, arbitrate um, the cases honestly. 
So, and this is based on a game theoretical principle called the Schelling point. It was invented by uh, Thomas Schelling, a mathematician, and he was a, a Nobel Prize of Economics 2005. And so, the the, the things he the, the thing he developed is a kind of game like you know the prisoner's dilemma about the two yes. prisoners in the separator. It's, it kinds of work like that. So imagine if you have seven uh, juries voting on the same type of dispute on the same dispute and having the same set uh, skill set. So we would expect these guys to um, have the same decision into this dispute, right? Because they are. Uh, they have the same skills, they have the same uh, evidence to analyze, and uh, so we would expect them to um, uh, vote uh, in a similar way. So imagine you have six of them voting A uh, is the winner, and one of them voted B is the winner. So what can you assume about the guy who voted B? You can assume that he probably wasn't uh well okay if this if the standard equality standard is the same then maybe he didn't put as much work into it uh to come up with his conclusion so that's correct that's how the shelling point works so um this guy uh, remember he had deposited a token in order to be drawn as juror right so mm-hmm. this guy that we can assume that he did not do his job properly is going to lose that token and this token is going to be redistributed to the other six juries that voted in a coherent way so since every juror is going to vote independently from the others, we expect them to vote for the truth, right? For the truth in this type of dispute, right? For what they think according to the skills that they have and the evidence they see is should be the winner uh, in this dispute. So that's like the magic of the game theory, which comes from the economic uh, discipline, right? It doesn't come from law, uh, but it has an impact when you apply it to dispute resolution. Uh, and so I guess that is why we are not lawyers here, but we are trying to apply logics from other disciplines into, into solving disputes. Right. Okay. And so, and what is the sort of magic number of jurors working on one particular case? Is it seven? I mean, obviously it has to be an odd number. <laughs> yeah. So that is the, that is a very big question and uh, we still don't have an answer, but that's a important research point that we have. Remember, we are um, mostly a science company. Uh, we are developing um, social technologies. And uh, we actually have a guy of the team, uh, William, who is in Toronto. He's a mathematician, and he's doing exactly this type of research, like uh, figuring out uh, what's the exact um, number of jurors that we want to have to solve disputes. Because there are like two forces um, at, at all here. Like We want to have as a small number of jurors as possible because that would lower costs. Mm-hmm. But if you have a low number of jurors, then it may be more difficult to figure out so um, who is the guy who is voting differently. Because if you have only like three jurors, so two to one result, so this guy who voted different from the others, is, is it really that he didn't take a look at the evidence or is it really that the case was not very clear cut so he still might... Uh, be in a, yeah he may be punished uh, unfairly if we take him if we take his token so if we have um, 25 jurors and then you have like I guess uh, 22 voting for one thing and three voting differently so in this case it's more clear that these three right. that voted differently so what we are trying to understand is what's the optimal number of jurors at which we can have um, accurate verdict at the lowest possible cost. That's what we want to optimize. That's interesting. And and obviously it's it, you know there could be variance between cases and and sectors and and uh, or specific cases of of different industries and this sort of thing. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure there's you'll you guys will will have to dig into that. I guess there would be variance in compensation as well. I mean if it's something that is a pretty crystal clear and easy type case like a like a website dispute versus uh, potentially something much, much more involved, like, uh, you know, something on the corporate level or, or something much more complicated involving a much higher level ex- of expertise, I guess the reward would be uh, adjusted accordingly? Yeah, of course. So the, this in the end is like uh, two-sided marketplace. You're on the one side, you have a demand of arbitration services. So this this, this website dispute demand uh expertise in uh, websites for adjudicating, right? 
but if you have disputes um, like about um, nanotechnology, whatever, uh, so yeah, the amount of jurors that maybe are uh, have the expertise to uh, arbitrate this is going to be uh, much lower, right? So the uh, fee that you would have to pay for jurors to adjudicate the dispute would be higher. So at this moment, um, we are focusing mostly on very simple use cases, very simple disputes. As I told you, the website one. So another one could be insurance. So you have like two cars who um, have a car crash. Mm-hmm. And so who company A against company B. So who um, was the who was guilty for this car crash would have to pay. So um, you have a jury of people who understand transit uh, regulation. And so seeing the evidence, they can, like expert witness who was the, the who was guilty. So we are still at this point of very early technology, just going for use cases that have like two possible decisions, like A or B, and not, and where there are no very gray areas, right? And because um, when you start to complicate, imagine like solving, a, I guess, a complicated corporate law suit mm-hmm. in Claros. So here you may have more actors. You, you can have like, th- there's not only two parties, but then maybe five parties. And so the, the evidence is not clear cut. Um, so in principle, the technology should work for that. But um, this is like the early days of the internet, right? So yeah, just let, let us send an email for now. And then we will see if in the future we can start to stream video. But um, for now, we are starting to uh, tackle very uh, use cases that are simple. And you know why? Because lots of the problems so that the people have in their everyday life um, in their economic relationships are simple as this one, right? Um, are, if we can help this guy who builds websites, so that's great for for starter. And then we will start to focus on more complicated disputes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I have a much better understanding now, Federico. After just spending you know a few, a few minutes, the last several minutes, uh, walking through these scenarios with you, and and you, you're doing a great job of explaining it uh, to to us, our audience, and as well. So uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I think that. It, it's kind of one of these things where it's um, on the small scale, I can understand it. And then on the big, a large scale, I can see, oh, wow, I can see the huge potential uh, that this could happen in uh, to, in all parts of, of life. Uh, but to get from here to there, uh, well, I guess that's that's for you and your team to figure out. But uh, it's that's our job. Yeah, it just seems like <laughs> uh, it, it seems like way way above my level of comprehension. Um, but having said that, um, you you did mention uh, a little bit about. Uh, your team member that was researching sort of uh, what the, the optimal number of, of jurors are. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your team uh, there at Claros and how you pulled them together to work on this exciting project. Yeah, sure. So um, Claros was born like one year ago um, because um, we, we had three guys from um, different parts of the world that uh, actually were working on similar stuff at the same time, but without knowing each other, right? I told you, I was doing research and starting to, um, yeah, and became interested in uh, the use of blockchain and the use of uh, crowdsourcing in justice systems for a long time. So um, there was this guy called Clément uh, and the other guy called Nicolas who were in France, uh, in Paris, and they uh, were doing the same type of research and they presented um, at a hackathon uh, some ideas mm-hmm. they had, mm-hmm. and so one of the of the jurors of the hackathon uh, actually knew me and knew what I was working on. So and she told Clement, "Hey, why didn't, don't you talk to Federico? And why don't you like see if you can collaborate?" Right. Uh, so we talked, and so we were passionate about the same things. We had very uh, complementary skills, and we started working together. And the, this. Uh, <laughs> collaboration that started like one year ago now it's um, a team of uh, 10 people so it's and you know and it's a very distributed team because i'm in buenos aires uh, clement is french but he's in portugal nicolas the other co-founder is french and he's in paris so we have a communications manager is in peru we have two developers uh, in the u.s one in oregon one in la we have the crypto economics researcher in toronto <laughs> wow. we have um, PR manager is in Germany. 
We have a design lead who is in, uh, in what's this country? Slovenia. Uh, we have the community manager who is uh, from Scotland, but he is in Serbia. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting about someone, but you know, that's uh, the, how the team, like it's distributed. Uh, it's fully decentralized uh, team. <laughs> look, we, we walk the talk, you know. <laughs> so, and you know, it's a, it's a, a very um, interesting new model for building companies because uh, I have not even met some of the uh, <laughs> person, some of the, of the people in the team. And so next week we are going to Paris and we're going to have our first full team meeting. And so I guess some of them, I'm going to just meet them for the first time. But the thing is that it doesn't matter because it works. So if you That's go right. to our GitHub, you can see uh, that, um, yeah, so it's working. Uh, there is a proof of, of concept that's already working. Uh, and we are already doing some very powerful partnerships uh, with different companies. And, you know, when you have people motivated and you have, I guess, a, a clear vision of what do you want to build, so you can make it work. It doesn't matter where you are. That's right, and I love uh, I love the way that that uh, that you're, we're able to do that now because of the internet. And this it's just a it's such a cool uh, something that you can't even imagine. You know, maybe 15 years ago that that you could literally build companies uh, from all around the world, a, t- a team working on it together. That some of the people you might have never met. Um, but I, I tell you this much, um, Federico, and and I know this firsthand because I'm. You know, I have, I have several business partners that are, I do projects uh, around the world as well. And uh, in many ways, we're much more efficient being in our own time zone. You know, there's no uh, frivolous meetings, any of this sort of thing. You know, it's literally, we're just working, working, working. And we're on Slack and we're, we're talking and we, we do a few conference calls here and there, but mostly Slack chat and, uh, and just working, grinding through it. So I think it's great. And it's just a sort of preview and a precursor to what the world is is becoming, which uh, which which I love. So um, I want to let's let's move into uh, our, our next uh, my next sort of question, which uh, you kind of alluded to when you were explaining uh, the idea of Claros, which is the Pinakion, um, the bronze or, or brass plate or, or coin that the ancient to go in and uh, and, and uh, submit to, to try to to get this uh, jury duty, so to speak. Uh, let's talk about uh, your your latest your latest uh, project that you're working on with relation to Claros and uh, and what you're trying to do there. Uh, so um, yeah, the you know the, the the jurors are going to be selected by use of the token. So we need to uh, put the token in the hands of the people of the users for them to have it and. So can deposit it for being selected as jurors. So we're planning to do a token sale uh, around April, maybe probably the end of April. Um, so yeah, uh, we're going to use a new method of, um, of token sale called interactive coin offering that was uh, developed by uh, Vitalik uh, Buterin and Jason Teuch, that is one of the founder of uh, Trubit, a very important uh, blockchain company, uh, because this method um, is more efficient for having more people um, being able to buy the, the token, right? Because you don't want to the uh, tokens becoming going only to the hands of the big whale companies, uh, big whale investors. Uh, we have to remember at all times that uh, token models have tokens for a reason, and this reason is because they play a, a important uh, incentive and role in the platform, right? So uh, that's why we need to to do a, a token distribution, and this is the way that we uh, think it's going to be more efficient for for our goals. So, can you explain quickly what how it differs from your uh, like a traditional uh, like a initial coin offering? Um, you know, in the traditional coin offering, so you have um, you are the, the investor, so and you can either select so you how many tokens uh, you you want to have. Uh, so you, you can be diluted. Um, you don't you, so you don't get to know how many uh, what, what percentage of the platform you're going to to own or the price you're going to pay. Right. So uh, in this um, new method, uh, you can choose um, the, the your own personal hard cap. And if so, you select a too uh, low um, 
a lower hard cap at the end, the one that ends up uh, being selected by the whole market, then you are uh, kicked out of the of the token sale, right? So, um, but you have more certainty of what you're going to pay uh, and for what a part of the token percentage you're going to pay that, right? So it's a new method um, that we are still analyzing exactly how it works. It has not been done uh, at this moment by any company. And we, but we think that it can solve many of the problems that uh, token sales had in the past. Um, yeah, so this is for for the moment. It's only um, a paper by mm-hmm. Vitalik and Jason, uh, but we think we we think it can solve a, a, a bunch of problems of token sales, and we are uh, willing to experiment uh, with it because it, it it can work very well. So it's almost like a blind bidding type type scenario where you you put your maximum price, so to speak, and then if you're if it if you're below the the threshold or the average, then then you're out. Is that is that the general concept? Yeah, yeah. You can you can see it in, in that way. I guess it's much simpler to explain it in that way. Uh, yeah. So the, and there are multiple rounds where you can come back and adjust your your bidding. So, but it, the general idea is uh, in is that one. I see. I see. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see if if you guys actually end up uh, going on that route. And in that scenario that you you gave us, it's 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 actually that utility token where if i'm a someone of expertise that i want to join a, an arbitration panel um i would deposit this token uh into the system so to speak and then if i get selected then uh you know i would i would arbitrate a case and uh get awarded i guess you get your deposit back and you get awarded on top of that if uh if you vote honestly right yeah, that's correct. So um, you, as a juror, you get two types of rewards. One reward, you get that in Ether because you just are paid arbitration fees. It doesn't matter how you vote. Even if you vote like uh, without even taking a look at the evidence, you will still be awarded that fee. Mm-hmm. But after, on top of that, you have this token system, right? If you vote differently from the others because you didn't take a look at the evidence or things we discussed before, so you are going to uh, probably vote very uh, in a different way from the others, right? Because um, you have like these other six guys who are experts in websites that did took a look at the evidence and probably will have the same uh, decision, and you that are going to have a different decision. So you are going to be the only one who loses the token, right? And these guys are going to split the token, your token, among them. So you, these these six guys are going to collect the arbitration fee. And on top of that, they're going to collect one-sixth, uh, one-seventh of your token that you lost, yeah? So um, the, it's important for, for the platform to have the token because it's the only way uh, to generate the right incentives for, for jurors to, um, to participate. If we didn't have the token, then we, we could have the problem of like jurors voting randomly anything, so it wouldn't work. Uh, so it's important that we have it uh, for the... Um, incentives being right uh, for voting and there will be a limited amount of tokens i gather yeah correct so um it's going to be the exact number we are still figuring out because um, uh, we're going to do it as, as simple as possible uh, for jurors to to use the token so maybe instead of thinking about 0.00001 token it's maybe to think about two tokens um but it's going to be like um uh, yeah a fixed amount it's interesting because, man, this space is has just exploded, and I think that there's such a disconnect between uh, education and uh, and basically people that are, you know, have jumped into the space uh, for greed, basically <laughs> trading some of these tokens uh, and these ICOs, and a lot of these companies, um, you know, I, I you know I, I I'm not an expert, like I said, uh, and and I haven't really followed it uh, that much, but. You know, I've I've looked at some of these companies, and they just uh, there's a massive disconnect between uh, the token that they're issuing and the underlying business. Like a lot of them, they don't even need a token, and I don't know why they're. You know, it's just like a I guess it's a money uh, raising gimmick or something. So it, it's just strange to me um, that that 
these people actually have these ICOs um, and they're able to raise millions of dollars and people jump in and jump out of them and they make money too and no one knows why. <laughs> so uh, it's refreshing. My point is it's refreshing, Federico, that you actually have a, a proper business that has a proper token that will, will is, is useful on that platform. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, see it live and, and, and work. So, um, as we look to wrap up here, Federico, and thanks again for your time. And it's been, it's been such an enlightening and engaging conversation we've had. I'm, I'm fascinated in, in Kleros and, uh, I'm, I'm really going to, I think my audience is going to, to keep track of, 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 of the work that you guys do. And, um, uh, so just a, a last few couple questions, you know, and I have to ask you as someone that's in this sort of blockchain space, um, what do you think, you know, how, how do you, how do you see the next 12 to 18 months playing out, uh, in this? And I'm not talking like, Oh, what's the price of Bitcoin going to be like, none of that. I'm, 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 I'm more interested in what you think about the, the, the bigger picture landscape, you know, um, right now there's just seems a lot of noise. It seems like there's a ton of things that are coming, uh, you know, online. And and I, I'm going to go back to that analogy that you said, where where you talked about uh, the problem, not the solution. Focusing on on that, um, and I feel like a lot of people right now are trying to reverse engineer a problem uh, based on this blockchain solution uh, when it's not necessary. And so uh, I'm just curious to hear your thoughts. How do you see this space evolving in the next 12 months? Um, I see. I think that um, we have seen this picture before, right? Um, this is not very different than the 1990s and the internet bubble. Uh, so suddenly we had this new technology called the internet that could connect people everywhere and send data at a very low cost. And so people started to think, okay, this is a this is a hammer <laughs> we can use to <laughs> for every night every nail, right? <laughs> so you started to see companies like uh, selling pet food on the internet and having a fleet of trucks everywhere like pets.com and some other like very dumb um, business models raising uh, millions of venture capital money and then uh, went down and lots of them went bankrupt. But still, you still had some Googles, some Amazons and some, uh, yeah, some other companies that actually did change the world, right? I think that this uh, moment of the industry that we are uh, living now is not different from there. So you have this new technology, blockchain, so that, uh, yeah, so we can we saw that it can be used for making payments, but that nobody really knows how it works uh, and where it can be used. But so uh, lots of people are just um, see the hype and they go and put money everywhere. And this drives valuations to crazy levels. Uh, it eventually, you know who is going to survive. The guys who um, are going to solve a real-world problem of real-world people uh, using blockchain as a, uh, as a tool and not a, as an end in itself. Um, because that's how it always works in business. You know, you can... Um, scammy projects, I guess, can uh, fake it for a while. But in the end, if there is no market for what they are doing, so it's not going to work. So I think... In the coming maybe 12, 18 months, I guess we are start, we will start to see real use cases of blockchain technology, right? Mm -hmm. We know that it can be used for payments, so but what about smart contracts, right? So and where does this work? And this is um, I guess we are going to uh, start to move into the slope of of enlightenment uh, in blockchain and, and start to see real use cases. And I hope one of these real use cases is going to be one of the uh, Clarus is proposing. I, I hope so too. I mean, I, I absolutely think that, uh, that this one is one that, that, that needs to survive because, uh, I, I can see the, uh, I can see the, the, the clear use case for this and how it will vastly improve, um, our world. So, you know, again, I think we're all looking forward to, uh, to tracking your progress. Uh, definitely. Um, I'm going to keep my eye out on, uh, on Claros. What, uh, I know you're in Hong Kong, uh, next month, actually. Um, what, what sort of things do you have in the pipeline? And I, I think you're doing a little conference tour, uh, going to be speaking at some things. What, what do you have on the pipeline? So, yeah, I'm going to Hong Kong on the 19th of March until the 24th and i'm going there for a conference um, called token 2049 it's a blockchain conference a 
very important, very good speakers. So I'm going to go there uh, to speak there and then also to have some meetings with blockchain communities there. So blockchain companies, maybe, uh, yeah, and potential partners for, for us. So it, was, it will be my first time in Hong Kong. So I'm very excited about that. Fantastic. Uh, I'm looking forward to sitting down with you and spending some time. And are you going to be elsewhere in Asia while you're out here? Yeah, so it's a, a road show that will go to Korea first, uh, and then Hong Kong, and then uh, Singapore, um, which also has a quite powerful blockchain community. So yeah, that's the Asia uh, road show. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, Federico, I'm going to make sure that uh, all your links and stuff are, are linked up in our show notes here uh, for the audience so we can go back and reference some of the things that, that we talked about. Um, but in the meantime, what's the best place that people can find you or follow you, learn a little bit more about Kleros or maybe learn a bit about the offering that is coming up? So you can visit our website at kleros.io, uh, K-L-E-R-I-O-S.io. So that's our website. And then if you want, you can join our uh, social media channels you can come to our slack telegram etc and so you can stay uh, tuned with everything good that it's coming from from us fantastic Federico. well thank you again uh, it's been enlightening uh an enlightening discussion and i, I wish you the best of luck and uh, we're, we're definitely going to follow your success uh in the future so um so best of luck and thanks again for your time Thank you, Jay, uh, and I hope uh, our Asian friends like the project and uh, give us some support so we can all move forward this global movement. Absolutely. Take care now. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found over at jkimshow.com. Come back often and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget to join us next week for another exciting episode of The J. Kim Show. I'd love to hear your comments. You can find me on Twitter at jkimmer, J-A-Y-K-I-M-M-E-R. See you guys next week. This podcast is brought to you by Hack Your Fitness, the high achiever's guide to getting ripped in under three hours a week. If you're anything like me, you're probably working a full-time job or jobs and trying to find time to balance family life, social life, and last but not least, fitness. Look, I get it. I'm a full-time investor and entrepreneur myself and father of two. So how am I able to stay fit year-round without spending hours and hours in the gym killing myself on the cardio machine? After struggling for the last 15 years trying every workout and diet under the sun, I finally designed a system that allows me to achieve and maintain single-digit body fat for life in under 3 hours a week. Cardio not required. Head on over to hackyour.fitness and download my free 13-page guide that teaches you the simple science behind efficient fitness and smart nutrition and gives you everything you need to know to finally take control of your life. That's hackyour.fitness. Yeah.